People have so many different hacks for getting a good night's sleep. And it's not to say that those don't work, but I really think you cannot discount the power of just good quality sheets and how much that can transform your sleep. I told you guys about these before, but as far as I'm concerned, Bowl and Branch are the best sheets on the market. And I think for me, the thing that like makes them so good is that they're really soft and luxurious while also being breathable. So they kind of work in all weather and their signature sheets are their best seller. They come in 14 versatile colors in all sizes from twin up to California King. I have them in the color stone. I have them in the color mineral. I have the waffle blanket. I have so many things from this company. Everything is just quality and their sheets are made with the finest hundred percent organic cotton and completely free from toxins. Also, they said this, but I didn't really get it until I started using the sheets. They do get softer with every wash and you'll see that. I've gotten these as gifts for so many people and every single person has been a repeat customer. And there's a 30 night worry-free guarantee. So you can wash style and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them, you can send them right back. Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use promo code CBC at BolinBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code CBC. Exclusions apply, see site for details. Hey guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. This was an incredible episode. Remember the Stefan sketch from SNL? That's how I felt this episode was. It was like, this episode has everything. Kanye cleaning out Kim's closet and getting rid of every single thing she owns. Oprah Winfrey, a family therapy session. Like, Robin Vegas judging Miss America. Like, what didn't this episode have? No, it had something for everyone and every single scene was no bullshit. It had something for everybody, yes, which is something that I feel like we say about episodes a lot. This one was a little bit different in the sense of like, it not only had something for everybody, but like, it was almost like, which way am I supposed to look? Like at every turn, there was something like unexpected popping up. Literally, it was Kanye, Oprah, therapy, like, whoa. Those are three big ones. Huge ones. And there's certainly a world in which they took any one of those and stretched it out for an entire episode with like a couple of filler scenes. And this one, they were just like, fucking balls to the wall. Let's do this. No, because Oprah almost felt like a footnote in this episode because when I was done watching, I was so overwhelmed by, by the way, only the first part of the therapy session, we ended on it to be continued, but I was so overwhelmed by it that it took me 10 minutes to be like, oh wait, and Oprah came by earlier. Right. Which at the time was a huge deal. Even watching it back, knowing where they are now, it still feels like as big of a deal now as it did then. Totally. Oprah being in that Calabasas house that Rob now resides in. I remember at the time thinking it's not going to get bigger for them than this. <laughs> no, wrong we were. I also want to mention if you're watching along with us, not to confuse you, I know we left off on episode 12 and now we're jumping to episode 15. It's not that 13 and 14 weren't good, but in terms of real heavy analysis debrief, those are not ones that require that. And episode 15 certainly does. So skipping over those two, and here we are. I am so excited to get into this one. So we start off with Chris and her confessional saying to us, it's so exciting to get a call from Oprah's office saying, hi, Oprah would like to interview your whole family and she'll come to you. I have to tell you, when I heard that line, even having seen this interview a million times, knowing what was gonna happen, it still hit me like, holy shit, Oprah's coming to them? I know. And it was like, once she was there too, which... We'll obviously get into that in a minute. It was like, why does it feel so right to see you in front of that staircase? Why does it feel so right to see you on that checkered floor? It shouldn't feel as natural as it does. Something that really took me out, which we will obviously discuss as we get into that section, but there's this one shot of Kylie 
watching the monitor while one of her sisters is being interviewed by Oprah in literally her living room. And it was just a direct shot of Kylie. And I could not help in my mind, but put that next to the shot of her at the Golden Globes next to Timothy. And I was like, wow, we have been on a journey with these people. We really have. It's unbelievable. And especially in this episode, I feel like that was so on display because like we said, we get into the Kanye cleaning the closet, which is something that we reference regularly. We see this Oprah interview, which is at the time the biggest thing for them. And also we delve into this family therapy session where so much of the stuff that they're talking about and everything that they're bringing up is so relevant to not just their dynamic today, but like specifically when we were getting into the Kim and Courtney fight, like all of the things that they're talking about in therapy are things that we had mentioned during that. Oh my God, beyond so. We will come back to all of that, but let's start with the first real scene, which is the Kim Kanye closet makeover. And it opens with Kim in her confessional saying, Kanye's coming over today with his stylist and he's giving me a full clothing makeover. Kanye's definitely inspired me to want to be a little bit more of an individual. I think my style is just evolving and changing, and I think it should be because that's what life is about. He's a fashion designer. He loves clothes, so I'm excited to collaborate with him to see what his take on fashion is. Okay, this is one of those times. I know a lot of people listen to these and they don't watch along with us. If you can, I would highly recommend watching this one scene because even though it is something we constantly reference, seeing it in action is just going to do something to you. I know it. I feel like when we do these rewatches of Kardashians, it's like, I almost sometimes feel like we're like in a video game and we're collecting scenes. Like, and they're like the big ones that we have to hit. Like, this is one of those ones. Like, this is one of those ones that you're like, oh, I cannot believe that we got there. Like, I cannot believe we're watching this again. We're at this point in the rewatch. And like, it hit exactly as hard for me watching it as I thought it would based on the amount of times that we have spent talking about it and referencing it. My memory of this scene was clear, but it definitely wasn't crystal clear because one of the major things I forgot was just how much they got done in that one day. And I know there's a piece of that's like you could chalk up to just efficiency. And I guess on some level it was, but also that's like a very overwhelming and can be jarring experience for someone who wakes up in the morning, has a full closet. And by the end of that day, pretty much every single thing they have not only owned, but have collected over the years is just gone. Even if it's going to be replaced with things that are exponentially better, like you kind of need a minute to process that. Most people don't do a giant closet cleanup like that in a day. And that was one of my biggest takeaways of like, whoa, he was not kidding when he said he was going to come in and, and basically just fuck shit up. A question that I have and that I would love to ask him is, as they are going through and doing this big closet clean out, we see the piles and piles and piles of clothes. And as the camera pans and shows them spread throughout Kim's house, multiple rooms, because that's just how much there was to be gotten rid of. The corner of the screen says like donation pile, donation pile, donation pile. My question is how much of that was actually donated and how much of that is in Kim's storage units? That's a good question. And I think that for Kim, probably some of the things she held on to weren't necessarily things she wanted to wear again, but maybe she wore them on occasions that were memorable or sentimental to her. And so she kind of insisted on keeping those, whether it was like, remember those, I think it was the Victoria Beckham shoes or or something, the Louboutins that Victoria Beckham was wearing years ago that she was showing on a recent episode, or, you know, like maybe some leopard dress that is objectively hideous, but maybe she wore her first time on Fallon. Like those are the types of things that I think if I'm Kim, I feel very strongly about keeping. 
Right, because when she shows us those warehouses archived with everything that she has literally ever owned, so much of that stuff is from far before Kanye. So much of that stuff is from before the show. So it's I'm so curious when they were going through and and deciding what to get rid of, what to keep, what to donate. Did she have the foresight at that time to say like, okay, this is what's going to be you know, put into storage and I'll archive it one day. This is what I want to keep for my daughter one day. Like, cause she, she says that about like a shearling Louis bag where she's like, I want to keep this for my daughter. And Kanye and the stylists are looking at her like, if it's my daughter, she's not wearing that. Like, I, I'm just so curious what Kim envisioned those warehouses to one day be if she thought about it at all, because what we see of them now is a lot of very, very old stuff. I think Kim always knew that on some level she wanted to preserve items of hers that held some sort of a memory, but there was no part of her in my mind that knew it was going to be this level. Yeah, that's what I think too. A part of the scene, which I guess is kind of technically the next scene, not to jump ahead, that I had forgotten about or my memory was a little bit fuzzy of was the reaction that Chloe had to all of this. Okay, yes, and I, I want to get there so badly. I just need to say a couple of other things from this scene. Number okay, one, <laughs> that Sherling Louie bag you're talking about when she looks at him and is like, I don't know, what if my daughter wants this one day? Interesting moment of her saying my daughter, not our daughter. Not that I expected her to say our daughter. I don't think at this point in their relationship she would have. But like, it was about to be their daughter in basically a year, right? Less, yeah, yeah. Like, just so interesting the way that you know, that all happened. Because I I think that if it was a few months down the line, even before she was actually pregnant, I think she would have said our daughter. Like, I think they were just at the cusp of that language switch, you know? You know, I don't know, because it, it happened very quickly. Like, keep in mind that we are now on the final episodes of season seven. When season eight returns, Kim's pregnant. <laughs> no, I know. And I'm not saying it from the perspective of like, they were actively trying to have a baby. I just think there was probably a shift with Kim where she realized, okay, most likely this guy is going to be the father of my children. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, but yeah, I think so too. The other thing was, oh my God, there's so many. But, you know, there was a real moment of irony when she says in her confessional, I think Kanye is helping me be more of an individual. And on some level, there was truth to that. But at the same time, you could watch this and certainly have the takeaway that her individuality was being stripped from her in that she was going along with what he wanted, which also was the case. I think there was a piece of this from her perspective. And I mean, it was factually the truth. Like he had a much more high level understanding of fashion at this time. And so you could see that there was a very large part of her that wanted to be led by that and was happy to be guided. And then at the same time, almost like a mourning of her pre-Kanye fashion life. And I know that may sound dramatic for talking about clothes, but it did. It was like a very firm signaling of this next era. Well, I think the thing with Kim here is that she's confusing individuality with just separating from her sisters a little bit. And so you see her, like we said, with the Kanye stuff, kind of not morph into him, but take a lot of guidance and a lot of direction and really take his word as the word of God, which for Kanye is best case scenario, right? Like that's all he could ever want in in his partner. But I think for Kim, she's not viewing it that way and really not viewing herself morphing into Kanye or morphing into what Kanye wants because the idea of doing something that's not 
with Chloe and not with Courtney is enough individuality for her. Like to me, like for her, that's where all of this is stemming from. She just wants to kind of have her own thing. If she's having her own thing and it's also morphing into somebody else's thing, as long as it's separated from the two of them, she's still viewing it as an individuality thing. Totally. And Kim, you know, in retrospect has basically said that in terms of realizing that now post Connie was the first time she actually felt that sense of individuality even though she was claiming to feel it here, it wasn't. I have a lot to say about Kim desiring that in terms of Chloe and Courtney, but I want to hold off on it for a second. Well, we get into the next scene, which you were talking about, where Chloe comes over and she's distraught. I mean, she literally says to Kim, Bible, I don't like this. And in her confessional, she goes, Kim's makeover is crazy. Full wardrobe is getting removed and is a lot for me to handle. It's not even happening to me. And I think there were so many things happening. One was just... As I said previously, like that level of overhaul in such a short amount of time, one, I think is overwhelming for the person, but I also think is overwhelming for like the people that find comfort in that being this the superficial elements of the person. Like imagine if you came over to my apartment and all of a sudden every single one of my like black Lululemon or airy pants is gone. You'd be like, wait, what the fuck are you going to wear on a daily basis? Like when I think of you, this is what I think of. And so if you're Chloe and you go over to Kim's closet and there's not one peplum dress to be found or no Louboutin booties, you're like, whoa, who are you and what have you done with my sister? And I think it was that. It was the fact of here's this guy, even though at the time she adored Kanye coming in and her recognizing just the intensity of that influence. And then the more comical element, but it also had a place here where she basically says, I own half the shit you own. So are you basically telling me like, I got to get rid of my wardrobe too? Right. Well, that was a huge piece of it was Chloe just being like, wait a second. Like if all of your clothes are ugly and they should be gotten rid of them, like what is it to say about mine? Because by the way, Kim already thought that Chloe's clothes were ugly from the ones that weren't what Kim had. Right. (laughs) Which is like such a hilarious side plot. I think that a huge element of Chloe's reaction to Kim And it's not even that this was necessarily said throughout the episode. It's just kind of a vibe that I was picking up on during this time period overall. It's like, I think the way Chloe specifically felt with Kim, there has to be a certain amount of like keeping her tethered to reality, keeping her head on straight, keeping her head a certain size, not letting it blow up too much, not letting all of this get to her in a way that like is disproportionate to the rest of the family. And like with somebody like him, it obviously can happen that way. And so I think that this reaction that Chloe was having was her walking into Kim's house and being like, oh, there's no chance of keeping you tethered to reality anymore. Like we've, we've, we're almost losing the plot here a little bit. Yes, literally, exactly. And I also think there was a piece of Chloe that's like, ooh, we're losing you. Like we were holding on for dear life and now she's a goner. Not, not a goner necessarily in a bad way, just a goner in the sense of like that familiarity piece. And I don't think that Chloe thought the rest of the family was going to end up meeting Kim there. I think in Chloe's mind, being married to Lamar and being the wife of an NBA player and being their specific level of fame was exactly as it was meant to be, is, is exactly the path that they were meant to be on and exactly what the path was going to be. I think that she maybe thought that Kim's path was higher. I think she maybe thought there was a lot more potential for Kim and her fame and what she could do. But I don't think Chloe thought that that extended to the rest of the family. And I don't think Chloe necessarily at this specific time wanted it to. I think the thing here that Chloe didn't understand at the time is like, Kim's about to be a little bit untethered from reality for sure. 
she's about to go to like a very specific place in terms of her fame and it's going to be a ride and it's going to be a big rise. But crazy enough, you're pretty much going to meet her there. No, completely. I just think that that separation was already starting to form. And then when there was such tangible proof of that, it freaked Chloe out a little bit. And I completely understand that if I'm her. Yeah, me too. So Mother's Day is coming up. And I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so we're now briefly in Vegas with Kim and Rob. Rob's there because he's a judge for Miss USA and Kim is there doing a Tao appearance for her new fragrance launch. And I know we see these types of scenes constantly in the older seasons where they go into a mall or a big convention center or something and just people go fucking crazy for them. It is pure hysteria. But I just love watching it because I know at this time it was still not old for them. And I'm not saying it's gotten old for them now. I think that if you were still to ask Kim, she would say, going into a setting like this and having thousands and thousands of people, you know, cheering for her, freaking out for her. It's still exciting. It's still fun. But at this time, there was still a feeling of disbelief that she couldn't understand how it was happening to her. Whereas like now it can feel amazing, but she, she fully knows that it's happening. Something that I think is funny about this scene and and exactly what you're talking about is that the reaction that I always have to it is We don't really see that anymore, not in terms of big crowds. We certainly see big, huge crowds for celebrities, but that mid-level fame where the crowds were mainly at, like you said, these malls, these convention centers in Vegas at these appearances, like we don't really get that anymore. And it was such a part of the 2000s and specifically during that time period. And there's just something so nostalgic about seeing like all of these teen girls lose their shit at a mall. Yes, exactly. Because by the way, at a time in our lives, we have been a teen girl at a mall or a book signing or something of the sort. Right. It's like, it feels like there's no in-between level of that fame anymore. It's like, if you're lower level fame, you have your fans that are really committed and will come to your book signing and will come to your thing. But like, as soon as you skyrocket to that level of fame where like you're amassing massive crowds, like you're no longer going to those places where those crowds are going to become an issue for you. Like for example, Olivia Rodrigo is not walking around the mall anymore. You know what I mean? Like it it wasn't the same sort of thing. It didn't have these sort of 2000s appearances that were so quintessential at the time. And I I don't know, I just like miss it a little bit. No, I mean, I think we were both very nostalgic for that time. And the other piece of this scene that is really the focus of it is, you know, Rob's on the red carpet doing press for Miss USA. And he's constantly getting questions about his sisters, about his family. And he's expressing 
frustration with that because he's like, here I am doing my thing and still it always gets reversed back to my sisters. And it just, you know, this is the first scene in this episode where we really start to see it. But obviously that just continues to build because by the way, it's been building. Right. This has now become a pattern with Rob and the way that he feels towards Chris and the way that he feels towards his sisters and this competitive and, you know, inadequate feeling that he, that keeps coming up for him. Something that I think is really interesting about this episode is that it's very specifically Kim and Rob, which we have seen a little bit of. For example, when they were on vacation in Bora Bora, it was Kim and Rob that really got into it. I realized watching this episode, I have no concept of what Kim and Rob's relationship is like today. I have no concept of what anybody in Rob's relationship is like today with the exception of Chloe, honestly. Yeah, no, I I don't either, but I mean- I guess it's because the dynamic between Kim and Rob, as I'm realizing, was so on display during these episodes. And I think Kim was his harshest critic. And I think maybe Rob saw the most of their dad in Kim. Like, I don't know exactly what that dynamic is, but I'm realizing watching these episodes that that wasn't something that was overly discussed, but it was certainly something that was on display and certainly something worth diving into and analyzing. And I have not one ounce of an idea of what that looks like today. No, I know. I have a lot of curiosity as well. And we can hold off on that until we get to the therapy scene because so much of what is being discussed there, even if it's not an issue now, it is certainly applicable to now. Definitely. Anyway, so the next scene, we have Kim, Chloe, Courtney, and Chris all in a meeting about their new makeup line. And this was Chroma Beauty, which at the time, I think they were calling it Kardashian Chroma and they ended up changing it. But I know I've mentioned this before. I will never forget buying my first Chroma Beauty at Ulta. That is so funny and so Jersey of you. So Jersey of me. And I felt like I had struck gold. I get it. I get it. That was like one of the, besides Kim's fragrances and like a hundred dollar dash t-shirt that your mom literally would be like, I, I cannot justify allowing you to buy this. Like that was the first tangible item I feel like that you could really have. I just remember feeling like there was something so cool about being able to put my like love for them into a product, you know, which like is so fucking crazy. I, I say surrounded by like five unopened Skims packages at the moment, but yeah, that's where it started. I get it. Anyway, we see more of the tensions rise here because Kim isn't a huge fan of the packaging. You know, she doesn't like the name Kardashian Chroma. She wants it to just be Chroma and. Chloe and Courtney, but I think Chloe the most is really picking up on feeling like Kim wants the separation. And she says, you know, just because Kim's on this new fashion kick and this new journey, it doesn't mean that her opinions are always right. And you can just really start to see that pick up here. I'm so curious if the way that Chloe and Courtney both feel about Kim's newfound desire to separate herself from, from the two of them and not separate herself completely, just kind of have her own thing, venture into a little bit of individuality in terms of their brand. I'm so curious if their reaction to that is mainly, we do everything together. We love doing everything together. Why are you straying from that? Or if it's kind of a fear-based reaction of like, you're going to do this and you're going to leave us behind. I think it's a combination of the two. Yeah. But I definitely think the latter plays a role for sure. Yeah. Because they also were aware of the Kanye of it all. Like, I know we keep saying this, but it's so true. At that time, Kim dating Kanye West was a really big fucking deal. And they were very aware of just where she could be catapulted to and was. You know, even in the last scene when they were in Vegas and Rob's on the red carpet, 
he's asked about Kanye and he says like, yeah, it's been really cool getting to know him. You know, I'm such a big fan. Like we forget that. But when Kim started dating Kanye, they were fans of Kanye West, the rapper. Right. Just like they were fans of Lamar Odom, the basketball player. I right. mean, to varying degrees, but yeah, it's, it certainly was the case. So they're now in the car. It's all of them and Rob. And Rob brings up the idea of doing Dash Men's because he feels like his income is low and he really wants to open up the store with Lamar. And Kim is sitting in the backseat and she says to him like, no, you're flaky. You know, you're known as being flaky and people aren't going to want to do something with you if that's your rep, basically. And he just continually calls her selfish. I would say that is the number one jab that he throws at her. And you can see he says it to get a rise out of her, but he also really feels it. I mean, I think that Rob would, with his entire chest, describe Kim as very selfish, at least at this time. I think that the main disconnect between Rob and Kim, what we're seeing here, is that from Kim's perspective, her and Chloe and Courtney really built up this brand. And they started with Dash and they put everything into the reality show. And it was about them and everything that they've done, they've worked very hard for and had Chris kind of coordinate as their manager. But it was really them doing the heavy lifting. And I think that when she hears Rob talking about these ideas, it's like, why are you piggybacking off of our stuff? Like we work so hard to build this and you kind of just want to reap the benefits. Whereas from Rob's perspective, he's looking at it like, well, we have all of the success for our family and apparently there's not enough to go around. And so they just have completely different views as to what Rob's role is and what Rob should be doing or should be allowed to be doing or should be included in. And I think that what Rob views as like his familial right and like helping him out and helping him to thrive, Kim views as Rob taking the easy way out or attempting to take the easy way out. Well, yeah. I mean, we get more into this in the therapy session, but I think she feels like, of course, I want everyone in my circle to win, but you got to put in the work a little bit in order to reap the benefits. I think she feels as though he wants to get on the ride now. And it's like, where were you when I was working my ass off before we made it big? I also think a huge piece of it is that there is definitely this level of aggression coming from Rob, this level of anger, which we get far more into in the therapy session. And I think Kim is also responding so negatively to that, where it's like, okay, it's one thing for you to kind of come up with these grand ideas you have and not really have a plan for how you're going to put them into place, but then also to approach me when you're asking me for help with such a level of aggression and entitlement. It's like, why would I want to help you? And for Rob, it's just, he's really struggling. He's really struggling. I mean, that therapy session broke me, honestly. I was so emotional watching him get so emotional, but... I also think there's a piece of it specifically with Kim when he keeps calling her selfish constantly. It's like, okay, at least let me make it true. You know, not that she was necessarily saying that, but it's like, if you have this view of me that is so cemented, okay, let me at least do the thing then that you're going to accuse me of anyway. It's very Courtney and Kim reminiscent. Oh my God, I cannot. Anyway, we now go to the day of the Oprah interview where Oprah Winfrey herself is in the black and white checkered floor of that Calabasas home. And- we got the whole Harpo Productions in that bitch. <laughs> in that bitch. <laughs> anyway, so they're getting ready. It's like complete chaos in the house. By the way, you know when you were little and you had guests coming over, this is like such a meme, such a thing people talk about on Twitter, but you have 
a random family friend coming over and like your mom is just freaking out wanting every room upstairs to be clean. And you're sitting there like, they are never going to come up in my room. It doesn't matter if my room is perfect. They are only going to be hanging out in the kitchen and the den. But like, that is just such a mom thing, which as I'm getting older, I totally realize why she did that. And I totally could see myself doing that with my kids. However, this is like X Games mode. Like, imagine being a kid and your mom freaking out because Oprah is coming over. Because like the response as a child you would give to your mom in that circumstance, like, mom, it's fine. It's just the fucking green bounce. It's not Oprah. But like, it literally is Oprah. I was so annoyed by having to clean my my room for guests that literally, I think that if Oprah was coming to my house and I was 14 years old, I would have said, what are the chances that Oprah's about to walk into my turquoise blue bedroom? Like, that's obviously not going to fucking happen. I'm not cleaning my room. I remember being so deeply annoyed by that because never, never did the guests, whoever it was, ever come to my room. But like, I, I do get it. As I'm getting older, I really do get it. Even like in Florida, when I know people, like when I know people are coming, I'm like wanting our rooms to be perfect, even if they're not coming into our rooms. I don't know why. I get it. I get it. I do in this, in this era of my life, I finally do. But when I was younger, I, I, I couldn't comprehend it for the life of me. No, there's so much it that our parents were so right about. They never got on me for the most part about shit that didn't matter. Like they were so not strict at all. And so like the stuff that they wanted me to do, like, I get it. I get why they wanted me to do it. They were totally right about it. And I, it's so funny. I I was saying this to my therapist recently, actually, like I, I, obviously in high school, you, not everyone, but I think a lot of girls go through it with their moms. And like, I certainly went through it with my mom, but we had of course an unbelievably close relationship. And I just, I wish that now, cause when she died, I was 23, 24. Now I'm like 29. And just in the last five years, so much has changed for me in terms of like the way that I view things and the way that I view things that she did. And even though we had such a beautiful relationship, like I so wish that I could tell her specific instances of like, you were so right about that. Like even the cleaning the room thing, like I just know how happy she would be to hear me say that. Or even I was thinking on the episode this week when I was saying to you, like, you cannot sleep with your phone under your pillow. Like my mom would be so happy to hear me say that because there were times when I was in high school where she would come into my room and like take my phone that had fallen asleep on me, off of me and put it on my night table, you know? It's so funny that you say that because I was just going to say, it's so funny listening to you tell stories about like when you were in high school and like the things (laughs) you and your mom would fight about, the things that you would get into and certain things that she would say. And then like you doing those things to me. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I really, I really get her. It's so interesting as you get older, like just realizing that. But anyway, it's a side note. So going back to the Calabasas home where Oprah is entering, as it says on this outline, Oprah arrives. Initial mingling and photo taking before the interview begins, which is exactly what was going on. And you can see from the jump, Rob is already feeling a little bit out of place. And that only continues throughout the episode in a way that was so sad. Like even though I was frustrated with his way of expressing it, I still just felt so sad for him that he was feeling all of those things. Yeah. I mean, in in terms of Rob's way of, of expressing it, it was because there was so much going on that was not being solved or taken care of in the way that it needed to be. I mean, and this is something that we've been saying since the Bora Bora episode. And 
I don't know if there was any therapy for Rob going on behind the scenes. The way it seemed when they get to this family therapy scene is that it's not. But Rob's struggles and Rob's issues and his anger and what he's going through is not just like, oh, this is a tough time in his life. Like This was something that really needed a lot of attention and a lot of care and a lot of help. And I think that because it wasn't presenting in any sort of way where they were overly concerned, he then wasn't getting that. But you can see his mannerisms and his level of agitation throughout almost every single thing that he does. And in retrospect, especially because you know the struggles that Rob goes through, you're like, somebody's got to do something here. I know, I know. And we can hold off on this until we get to that scene, but that's also why I was feeling so frustrated with Chris about like, why are you even expressing being opposed to the idea of therapy when clearly this is something your son is like craving, even if he's not expressing it? Like, I I just wish that she would have been the one to say, I think that, you know, you should do this. I think we should do this together. I will go with you. I know she ended up going reluctantly, but she went. But like, it, it was so interesting to me that even when you're witnessing someone who could benefit from it so much that there, she was still expressing opposition. And, and listen, she was just being honest. That I, that's all you can ask of someone. But it was surprising to me that she was still having that reaction. Well, I think it was interesting to watch Chloe kind of take on that maternal role with Rob, which is something we've seen time and time again, but really in that specific circumstance, not only in comforting Rob, but also in terms of kind of seeming like the only one that was understanding at least a little bit what was going on. But I'm, again, that's like a, every time we do this, every time we do these episode recaps, it's like, I am jumping at the bit to talk about the main thing. And it's like at the end of the episode. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to say this one thing right now. And then we're going to get back on track. But that's us with everything. Like even when, before we start recording, like when we come on here, we can't just go on and then immediately start. Unless it's like a Travis Taylor emergency situation where we need to watch a video and then immediately record. It's like we always go on and somehow just have something else that we have to talk about. And then we're like, okay, and then and then we'll get to the episode. Or like whatever the thing is, we always just need time to just talk. <laughs> I just love hanging out. Like, sue me. I, no, obviously. Okay, so they go kind of in groups. It's first Chloe and Lamar. It's then Scott and Courtney. And Courtney is saying, you know, she was a little bit nervous about the one-on-one with Oprah or two-on-one with Oprah because she never knows what you're going to get with Scott. And even in the first few minutes where Oprah says to him, you know, you're kind of like the black sheep of the family. And Scott says, yeah, I mean, I know. I can't take back some of the things I've said or done. And he says, you know, I've been an asshole. And Oprah confirms that. Courtney confirms that. They have a very honest conversation and they end up kind of laughing. But I just thought kind of watching Courtney be a little bit nervous about doing this was interesting because... Courtney is not one, at least in these years, to be nervous. Like she proudly does not give a fuck. And Oprah is not going to be the person to make her give a fuck. No one can really make her give a fuck. But when it comes to Scott, something that can scare her is that feeling of potential embarrassment, like that he's going to do something to embarrass her. And I know it was not like a overtaking emotion here by any means, but it was definitely present. She's just always a little bit on edge with him. She doesn't know what version of Scott she's going to get. And that doesn't necessarily mean 
bad Scott or good Scott. It means like, is he going to be inappropriate today? Is he going to be funny today? Is he going to be subdued today? Like there was a lot of different versions of Scott that you could get. And I think that it was very unsettling for Courtney at times to not know whether or not she was going to get the version of Scott that she adored and loved. If she was going to get the version of Scott that she was annoyed by, which the feeling of being annoyed by him was almost equally as bad for her as the feeling of being mad at him, if not worse, actually, we've seen her react stronger to that at times. And so when you're sitting down with Oprah, it's like, okay, like the stakes are pretty high for what I already feel on a normal basis. Totally. I mean, it's whatever you would have been feeling, obviously amplified by the fact that it is literally Oprah Winfrey in your living room asking you questions about your relationship. Like it's a totally normal reaction she was having. It just, for Courtney, it was kind of an abnormal reaction. But next up was Chris for her one-on-one with Oprah. And the rest of them are, are off camera and they're making bets on how soon in is Chris going to cry? One minute, five minutes, eight minutes. And the first time she ends up crying is when Oprah asks her about Scott and, you know, talking about the evolution of their relationship and how initially Chris really wasn't a fan. And now, you know, she has become one. And she says he's turned into the most amazing man and the best dad. And I think Scott was really touched at the fact that talking about him was the first thing to make her cry. Yeah, he loved that moment. I had a moment of like, why is Oprah so concerned with Scott? I know, but it was such a thing back in the day. It's like, why does Oprah even know about Scott? I know. It's like, what is Oprah Winfrey doing knowing about Scott Disick? Well, when she's in that sit down with Courtney and Scott and Scott says like, I hate being called an asshole or whatever it is. And she's like, well, you know, because you have been. It's like, I know how I know that. How do you, Oprah Winfrey, (laughs) know about Scott being an asshole? Right. Like, are you watching the same keeping up that I'm watching? And that's the question too. It's like, did you research for the interview or have you been keeping up the whole time? Right. Or are you just like a fan like the rest of us? Or are you just happy to see me? (laughs) (laughs) And when Kim sits down, one of the questions that Oprah asks her is, you know, Kim, there are all these questions. Are you and Kanye together as a publicity stunt? She goes, no, I couldn't sacrifice my heart for a publicity stunt. And Oprah says, so it's real? And Kim says, yes. And Kim's talking in her confessional just about how warm Oprah is and how present she is and how comfortable she makes you feel. And like, you can tell, you know, her talking about this in this way was a very big deal. And it just, I don't know, watching this was so wild, especially because here we are watching Kim talk about her and Kanye not being a publicity stunt. Meanwhile, on Tuesday's episode, we're coming so hard against the fact that obviously to us, Kylie and Timothy are not a publicity stunt. It's just like, wow, same energy, different font. (laughs) Hugely different font. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over-the-counter allergy spray, and it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid-free allergy spray. And Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real. And for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. 
A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, they're washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. So we now have Courtney, Kim, Chloe, and Rob. They're all sitting down. And again, you know, Rob has just the entire day and really the entire episode, but specifically this entire day, just been feeling a little bit out of place. And so they sit down and Oprah asks him and all of them about how their dad's passing has impacted them. And Chloe says, you know, I think we take his words and his morals so much more to heart and we've become closer. And Kim says, we do genuinely all love each other so much. And Oprah then asks Rob, do you ever feel like you're living in their shadow? And he says, I mean, it's tough, but I couldn't be happier for their success because they're my sisters and obviously I want the best for them. My dad was an entrepreneur and that's something that I want to be. Everything that they're doing is right because of my mom, but most importantly, because of my dad, because he was the one who taught everybody. And Kim kind of chimes in and is like, yeah, but you know, we also work very hard. And Rob's like, yeah, we work hard, but also it's because of our parents. And Chloe says in her confessional, I do think it bothers Rob that he gets compared to us, but I don't think Rob realizes how much work my sisters and I have put into our businesses. And I don't think he remembers the struggles that we had and how hard it was and how long it took for things to get going. Which that, I mean, I know we will get to this, but that is the exact frustration that I think Kim feels the most strongly. Right. The biggest thing with them is that their view of the other is not the view that that person has of themselves. Exactly. And I think that as much as Kim is triggering for Rob, I think Rob's specific criticism of Kim is very triggering for her because it almost echoes what the world was saying about her of like, oh, she's just famous for nothing. She just got here because she's Robert Kardashian's daughter, which like, of course, on some level, there was truth to that, but she also worked her fucking ass off. And it's one thing for other people to say that, but it's another thing for like your own brother who was there from the come up to kind of undermine your success in that way. Or at least that's what she felt he was doing. And I think that's where you saw you know, them really start to go at it. Yeah, definitely. It, it was. It's a fascinating dynamic between the two of them that is entirely under-discussed. So next scene, we have Kim, Courtney, and Chloe. They're all at Kim's house. And this was like a totally throwaway line, but I just wanted to mention it. Courtney is showing them earrings that Scott got her. And she's like, yeah, Scott got them for me when we were in San Diego, probably because he went to a strip club. <laughs> <laughs> it's like always something. Always something. Anyway, Kim then presents to them that she was offered to do a lingerie line in the Philippines and that it's not going to impact any of their other deals. It's something she's doing totally solo, but like it won't be stepping on their toes at all. 
And Kim says in her confessional, I really don't know why Courtney and Chloe feel a little bit threatened that I just want to find my own voice. Me doing anything on my own would never affect any project that I do currently with them. They just don't get it. And Kim's kind of saying that she feels it's frustrating when she gets brought a deal that it's automatic that Chloe and Courtney are then going to be involved too. And Courtney says, it's the three of us, but also it's rewarding if we're all together to experience it. And in her confessional, Courtney says, one of the best parts about our business is that I'm working with my sisters and I don't understand why Kim would want to do these things alone. And they start to go into some specifics, which I obviously find fascinating. Like when Chloe is saying, you know, you only got the quick trim deal because of me. I was the one that lost 30 pounds. You were then brought on second. And she's like, I never questioned you being involved. And I'm sure so many more of these types of things arose, but that's what they were talking about here. And in Chloe's confessional, she says, Kim wanting to branch out and do things on her own, that's insulting to me. I could do a million things by myself, but it's more of an accomplishment and fun being able to work with your sisters every day. This like separation between them, which isn't a full separation. It's not like, you know, lead singer breaking off from the boy band type of thing. It's just Kim looking to have a couple of things where she allows herself to be seen as an individual. I was kind of surprised that this conversation was happening because even at that time in the public view, yes, it was the three of them, but it wasn't like the three of them were seen as being completely equal. It was always Kim kind of being the lead or taking the charge or being the more famous one or, you know, being the face of things that maybe Chloe and, and Courtney weren't at the time. Like it, 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 this wasn't a new concept by any means. And so the fact that this was starting to come up, yes, it obviously felt very Kanye specific and maybe representative of this new era of Kim, but I don't know. I I was confused, I think, by the reaction that they were having, unless the reaction was really just coming from the fact that Kim was vocalizing this for the first time and and really talking about her desire to do something separate and, and individual rather than just like having those opportunities presented to her. I think it was a combination of everything. You know, like if we go back to the opening scene where Chloe is freaking out about the closet clean out. I think that all goes into it. It's it's the recognition that this could potentially be, and by the way, ended up being a new era for Kim, which ultimately was good. But I think if you really wanted to simplify it, which is kind of unfair to do to the situation because it's not simple, but if you tried to at least, like it was that change can be scary. And up until this point in their careers, it had been the three of them. And it's what they have grown to be really comfortable with. And, you know, what's interesting is that Kim, who was the one branching out alone, wasn't experiencing that fear. It was Courtney and Chloe that were experiencing the fear of it not being all of them together. And I think like, you know, they were just doing things in a different way, which can be scary. And probably the feeling of being potentially like left in the dust, even though they weren't, because again, her success is all of their success and it, you know, it feeds into one another. But I think that that played a role for sure. I think the fear of change is a huge aspect of this. Yeah. So next scene, we have Courtney and Chloe at Courtney's house. And Chloe says, what's up with Kim lately? Courtney goes, don't even start. By the way, just before getting into the rest of the scene, specifically these moments feel so vintage to me because when was the last time where Chloe and Courtney had a solid shit-talking session on camera about Kim? I don't know, but I fucking love it. I love it, but it is like so not something we'd see now or at least haven't seen recently. No, and what specifically it is, is that it's not that you wouldn't see a scene where Courtney is talking to Chloe about Kim. That certainly happens. It's that 
we were getting Chloe's unfiltered thoughts back. We were getting Chloe completely agreeing with Courtney about Kim at this time. We were getting Chloe bringing it up to Courtney first. Now what we get is Courtney bringing it up to Chloe and Chloe really doing her best of making sure Courtney feels supported, making sure Courtney doesn't feel overwhelmed by the dynamic switch between the three of them in terms of Kim and Chloe now being closer, but also not saying a bad word about Kim to Courtney. It's an entirely yeah. different ballgame now. Oh, totally different ballgame. And Chloe says here in the scene, yeah, when I wear that maxi dress and she's like, I'm so over these phases. I don't wear maxi dresses. And Courtney's like, she just wore one two days ago. Again, such a minor example, but indicative of Kim entering this new era. And that specifically, the like, I don't wear those anymore was very Kanye coded. Very. And most of the times, the conversations that they have about Kim during this specific era kind of sound a little bit like that. It's like, Kim did something minor that was very hypocritical. Kim was being too judgmental. Like they, they really weren't as deep in terms of their fights as they are now. <laughs> Nothing can be as deep as it is now. I, I can't. Nothing could nothing could be as deep as that Kim Courtney phone call, Julie. But, nothing. But can I tell you a thought that I had during this episode? Because when we spoke about that phone call and we spoke about the whole Dolce and Gabbana fight, we were like, this is pretty much as vicious as it gets. I actually think to their credit, the fact that that is how vicious it, as it is ever going to get between them is miraculous. I mean, the fact that they were able to have this business together, this come up together, the show together, have all of their business affairs tied into one another and still maintain the relationships that they all have. Even Kim and Courtney to me is like a miracle. I don't, you don't see that every day. Like business and, and this level of fame can really drive a wedge between family members and specifically sisters. And I think the fact that to their best ability, they really didn't let it for the most part is unbelievable. No, it is until... <laughs> Kim and Courtney beat the shit out of each other in Chloe's room, but yeah. They did, but you know, the way that I feel about Courtney and Kim is like, they are still 100,000% of the time going to show up for each other when they need to, and that's what matters the most. And I think that you see a lot of times with these famous families and families who have fights over business, it's like, oh, they won't even show up for each other. It's like, it, it com communication is done. They have these big fights and it's over, and that's not what the case with Courtney and, and Kim is. No, and it never will be. And by the way, I don't think it ever will be ever, but specifically when Chris is in the picture. Like, right. there is literally no way, you know? Totally. And they're kids. I mean, there's just no way, yeah. No, there's no way. I don't. I, tr I truly, truly do not ever see that happening. But I'm also saying, like, Chris would not allow that to happen additionally. No. Anyway, so... Chloe says in her confessional, I love that Kim is growing and all of that, but it's about spending time with one another, creating a business with your sisters. I know my dad would be disgusted if he ever knew that business deals and work deals came between my sisters and I. Which again, as we were saying, like in the scheme of things, it really didn't over the years. And Chloe then says to Courtney, you know, I want to have a therapy session with us, Rob and mom. And of course, you know, Courtney is all on board for that. She has been a therapy advocate at this time. And Chloe says in her confessional, Right now, there's some issues between us. And I think with everything that's happened, priorities in life have definitely changed. We just need someone to help us get through everything, which I could not be more on board for. Okay, so I want to talk cookware for a second because I haven't told you guys about this company and I recently tried their products and I fully understand the hype now. So they're called Great Jones and they make really high quality, thoughtfully designed cookware 
that also happens to be beautiful. Like I know it's kind of a weird way to describe cookware, but you'll see what I mean when you go on the website. In terms of colors, they have your classic black and white, but they also have pinks, greens, yellows, blues, just like really vibrant, fun colors. And everything is non-toxic. So they have, you know, Dutch oven, ceramic dishes, non-stick sheet pans. Everything is non-toxic to me. That's huge. And we all know, like, I'm not the biggest cook, but I have my staples. And I got originally from them the Fry family, which is the eight and 10 inch ceramic non-stick pans. And they're just great. I got them in the white because that matches the best with my kitchen. I love cooking on them. And I also, I know, again, it sounds kind of weird, but I love the way they look in my kitchen. And the thing is, once you get these, you're going to want to get them for your friends. So they make incredible gifts for weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays, whatever occasion you need. It's a great gift. Upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code CBC. That's greatjones.com promo code CBC. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends, so... I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. And the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. Okay, so Chloe calls Kim to tell her how she wants to do this therapy session. And she's like, I just feel like it's time for an intervention with the entire family. Kim's like, what do you mean? And Chloe says, all of you guys are majorly obnoxious. Robert might be OCD amongst other problems. Courtney hates mom and I'm just perfect. So therefore, I think we should have a family intervention. Kim's like, I think that sounds like the most ridiculous thing ever and I'm not into it. And Chloe's like, okay, well, mom agreed to go, which Kim doubts. So she calls Chris herself to hear it you know, directly from her. And Chris says, yeah, listen, if everyone agreed to go, I will go and try to sit through it. She's like, I'm not someone who really believes in therapy, but I think that we should go and just keep everyone happy. And Kim's saying in her confessional that she's really surprised that Chris is open to going to therapy because she never has been before. And she's like, listen, if it'll make everyone else happy, I'll go, I'll support them, I'll be there. Again, though, you and I were talking, I think, relatively recently about like what we think their thoughts, specifically Chris's thoughts on therapy are. And this is very telling in terms of like, she's not a fan and she has been a kind of a doubter. Yeah. And, and I'm actually more curious about Kim in that regard, because it seems like her opinion hasn't really changed either. And what she's saying here is like, I've tried it. It's just not for me. And also she makes the comment out like, I don't really want to talk to a stranger about our family problems. And I feel like now she carries the same sentiment with a little less skepticism behind it. Like, I don't think she would be mad about the idea of therapy. I don't think she'd be totally opposed to it. I think she's just like decided it's really not for her. And probably as she's gotten more famous, she probably feels a little bit of a lack of trust in that too. But it is interesting to see like the way they all have this relationship with it hasn't really changed. Like Courtney then is the only one really going and committing herself to it. Just like Courtney now is really the only one. It is so shocking to me. 
to be honest. And I know it's not for everyone. And that's not, I really don't say that with shame. I, I hope it doesn't come off like that because I don't mean it like that. It's just, I don't know. It's like, if if you have the ability to give yourself that gift of just like completely open conversation with a non-judgmental presence that is literally paid to listen to you talk, like you'd think that you'd want to take advantage of it when the things that you are experiencing in your life are so above the level of comprehension of your average person. Totally. I think though, if I'm Kim now, it's like the way that I would feel if I was Kim is like, I am one of one. Like the circumstances and the things that I'm going through and the things that I'm dealing with are literally factually only happening to me. Yes, there are obviously areas of her life and things in her life that are universal or happen to other people, marriage, divorce, whatever it is. But like how specific it is and her level of fame is is Kim specific. And so I think that if I'm Kim, I'm maybe looking at it like, yeah, nobody knows what I'm going through. And maybe I would love the ability to talk to somebody about it, but also I'm not going to be able to talk to somebody who's going to be able to get my life more than I get my life. Right. But it's not about someone getting your life or being able to understand the experiences. It's it's giving yourself the freedom to say your deepest, most inner thoughts that you may have any hesitation to say out loud to anyone else. And just to know that this is like factually a safe space. Like this person right. is required by law to hear you and keep that secret and like keep track of that in a way that it, I, I don't know. I just, I don't, who knows what her, you know, what her current stance on it is now. Like I've, she's been through a lot recently, you know, I don't know, but it's just, it was just that, I don't know. Very interesting for me. Very. Yes. Okay. So we now have Kim, Chloe and Courtney in glam. And basically their plan for the rest of the day is they're going from Glam to therapy to Kimmel because they have an appearance on Kimmel that night and they don't want to be rushed with Glam. So they're going to do Glam on the front end, which is a very interesting choice because there was a high probability they were going to cry in therapy as they did. (laughs) So you would think that that would be like a mascara awareness that wasn't actually present. I felt that was a wild decision. Wild decision. Because by the way, the last thing you want to fucking do after therapy is go on Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, The whole timeline of it, it was like, maybe just pick a different day. Like, I'm sure we can figure it out. Like, literally anything other than Kimmel. You know how Bethany Frankel always talks about stacking? Like, if you have a lot of shit to get done, instead of doing it on different days, like, try to just stack it and get it all done, which, like, in general, I'm a fan of. But this is not the time I would choose to stack. No, no. So, and by the way, I'm giving you guys this heads up now so that you don't feel blue-balled. What we decided to do in one of our ad breaks when we were discussing the organization of the episode is that if we start the therapy session now, we then cut it off in the middle and then we come back next week with the rest of it. We'd rather keep the entire therapy session in one episode. So we're going to talk about this pre-therapy fight now and then we will end off right before going into therapy. So I'm just telling you that so you know going in and then next week's episode, we'll talk about the entire session as one because it's kind of difficult to split it up when it's all part of the same thing. But anyway... They're all sitting there in glam. Rob's there and he's talking again about opening up this Dash men's store. And he's like, you know, I'm just asking Princess Kimberly for permission. And Chris goes, why are you so angry all the time? And Rob says, because Kim is literally the most selfish person here and doesn't give a fuck about if I have a career. All she cares about is herself. I told you this for years. Kim is selfish, obviously. She doesn't ever want to include me in anything. And Kim says, my job is to help you out. You're not a charity case. Get a job. 
And Rob goes, no, the point is that you'd rather put yourself in it and take me out of it because you want all the attention. Just like you said, I want to do Oprah by myself. I get it. You want to separate yourself. You're your own person. Just look at her. A picture says a thousand words. And right there, I would look at you and I would say one word, selfish. Kim goes, you sound like a fucking idiot. And in Chris's confessional, she says, I really don't believe in therapy, but listening to them fight like this is probably a really good idea we're here. You don't say. Again, like we see this as the intro and they really get into it in therapy, which we'll discuss next episode. But like, Rob had such anger, yes, for Kim, but just for the entire way his life was going. And Kim was just one of the people that he was really taking that out on. Not to say that his anger for her wasn't truly directed at her and that there wasn't, you know, legitimacy in terms of his feelings towards her, but it was part of a far bigger picture. Well, I think a pattern that we see with Rob, keeping in mind everything that we've said throughout the episode, that this is somebody who seriously, like, needed help at this time and was really struggling and was really going through a lot. All of that is true. And also Rob has a lot of accountability issues. Rob is always looking to point at somebody in the room where he can take whatever he's feeling, whatever he's going through, whatever his current problem is and pawn it off to them. And so if you remember the episode where Rob is living with Chloe and Lamar and they're trying to stop him from overeating in the way that he had been doing. And he goes out with Scott and they go to Taco Bell and he comes back and and they kind of confront him about it. And he's like, well, Lamar keeps so much junk food in the house. And, you know, Scott wanted to do this. It was like, you chose to do this. And I think that is a complete pattern with Rob where anytime he feels like he's being backed into a corner or anytime he feels like he can't get done these ideas that he has in his head or whatever it is that he is feeling, he's always looking for somebody to be able to point to, to say like that it's because of them. I know, I know. And listen, I'm not saying that it's easy to be on the receiving end of that if you're Chris or if you're Kim, but I just wish, and and it's sibling dynamics. It's so tricky. Like I'm not saying that I expected Kim to do this because obviously when he's coming for her throat, like she's going to defend herself. But I just wish there could have been a moment pre-defensiveness of like, oh, he's hurting. And like, let's let's honor that. Like, let's just attend, let's just tend to that for a second. Because even when Chris says like, why are you so angry all the time? Like, yes, you acknowledge that he is so angry all the time, but that's coming from something deep within. And like, I don't know, it just seemed like there was either straight defensiveness back at him, coming at him, or just like a Band-Aid approach. And neither one of them was a solve. I think what was happening here is that Kim specifically found all of this to be an excuse rather than a reason. Mm -hmm. And so it was hard for her to sympathize or empathize in the way that as the viewer, you're maybe expecting her to, A, because you're looking at somebody who's so angry and it's being directed at you. So obviously your natural inclination isn't to be like, whoa, okay, like, I'm, I'm so sorry you're hurt. Your natural inclination when somebody's coming at you is, is to defend yourself. But also I think that the way that Rob always describes that his sisters are saying to him, like, you're such a loser, you're such a loser. Like for Kim, it's like, why can't you get it together? Like why enough with the excuses? Like, let's just make something happen here. Let's do something, put the hard work in, do the work and do what you need to do. And so I think that Kim's frustration with Rob not doing that because of what she perceives his work ethic to be, which totally could also be the case. He could have a terrible work ethic on top of all of the stuff that he is going through. For Kim, that's the thing that she's picking up on the most. And as we've had this discussion with Kim a million times, Kim's respect for another person is so contingent on their work ethic. Totally. And that's a a huge disadvantage that Rob is at in this particular situation. Yeah. This was a fucking amazing episode. I know we're technically ending it a little bit early because 
We want to keep it all in one, but I cannot wait when we do the full therapy session next week. I'm so glad that we're not breaking it up. I was I was so stressed about that going in because I, that's why I didn't even watch the next episode, even though I obviously wanted to, because I was like, I know if I do, I won't be able to separate the two in my mind. Like I'll be saying shit that was in the next one. No, this is better. I love when we remember we can do whatever we want. (laughs) Such an empowering realization, you know? Beyond. Okay, I think that is a wrap. We love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting us do this. Thank you for loving this crazy, unbelievable family in the way that we do. And we love you. We'll see you later this week for Bravo. Let's talk about baby making for a second because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be, meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Frida Fertility. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Free to Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you.